This is Condopedia. Here, we talk about everything related to condo law in Ontario, with hopefully some humor mixed in. Hi, everybody. Um, it is David here again. I am here with a new guest for our podcast. I have here Melinda Andrews. Uh, Melinda is going to be the first speaker of a series of speakers talking specifically about Tarion and the Tarion warranty process. Um, this is the first episode, so we're going to talk more broadly and more generally about the issue of Tarion, but um, there'll be three other episodes that go into more specifics, all focused on providing some information related to unit owners and other homeowners, uh, predominantly in the condominium context. Uh, welcome, Melinda. <clears throat> Thanks, David. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Um, before we get started, I guess, on the episode itself, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your practice? Yeah, sure. So for those that I haven't worked with, um, I've been practicing in condominium law for seven years. Um, the whole time I've been at DHA and my practice focuses primarily on building deficiency litigation, including some Terry on claims work. Um, so that's why I'm happy to be here to be talking about Terry on today with you. Great. So why don't we get started since we don't want to have our listeners waiting. The first, I guess the first big question is what is Terry on? Yeah. So Terry on is a, a not-for-profit corporation that was actually created by legislation passed in 1976 by the Ontario government. Um, I was actually surprised to know that it's been around for that long. But basically, it's responsible for administering the statutory warranties available on new homes. And the point of creating it was to try and provide new home buyers with increased protection at a time back in the 70s when more new home buyers were entering the market. And so what I mean when I when I talk about statutory warranties is I'm referring to the warranties that new homeowners are entitled to that are confirmed by statute. So a piece of legislation called the Ontario New Home Warranties Plan Act. And this piece of legislation essentially confirms that the builders of new homes warrant to the purchaser that the home is going to be constructed in a workmanlike manner, that it's going to be free from defects in material, that it's going to be fit for a human habitation, that it's going to be constructed in accordance with the Ontario Building Code, and that it will be free of all major structural defects. So Terion is really the agency that owners go to to make claims for those warranties. And I should note, though, that Terion's role is to essentially backstop the, the builder's statutory warranty. So we're talking about warranties that the vendor or the builder owes to the owner. They aren't owed specifically by Terion, but Terion will step in and has the authority to do so if a vendor fails to provide warranty coverage that is required under the legislation. So it's a bit of a complicated dynamic between Tarion and the builders, and that can often make it a complicated dynamic for owners and condominium boards to manage the claims process. Right. Uh, I guess before we talk deeper into how it operates, um, it's obviously an agency. So how, how is it financed? Like how does Tarion get financing? 
Yeah, this is always an interesting question that comes up. Where does Tarion get its money from is, um, is a pretty big question, but it's really from home enrollment fees. So these are the fees that builders pay to enroll each new home. The interesting point though, is that these home enrollment fees are almost always passed on to the uh, purchaser in the purchase price for the home. Um, Tarion also gets money from investment income that it makes uh, on the, the funds that it invests. And it also gets some money in from builder and vendor registration fees. So the fees that builders and vendors pay to register with Tarion. Okay, so I guess in, in essence, Tarion's financed by the consumers who actually purchase their homes um, yep. from the builders. So Melinda, how has the system involving Tarion uh, been functioning over the past several decades? Yeah, so uh, I'll give you a bit of an explanation about what Tarion does and then um, get into your question. But to better explain what Tarion does, I, as I mentioned, they just Tarion describes itself as a consumer protection agency. And so its main priority, as I said, was um, administering the new home warranties plan legislation. But in practice, what this means is that Tarion runs a system where homeowners can manage their warranty and report defects to Tarion and the builder. They also attempt to facilitate resolutions between owners and builders over warranty coverage. And where disputes can't be resolved between the homeowner and the builder, Tarion um, can assess and investigate the claims themselves to make a decision on them. This is called the conciliation process. And we'll talk about it a bit more in the further uh, podcasts in the series. But where builders fail to address a valid warranty claim, Tarion can also step in and resolve it with the owner directly by either paying compensation or having a third party do the repairs. And so that's really where the teeth of Tarion comes in. And they also administer the what is called the guarantee fund, which is used uh, to pay compensation for the warrantable defects. And it's again, financed by all the fees that Tarion collects. So I take the point that Tarion obviously describes itself as um, a consumer protection agency, but I, I don't think it's any secret in the industry that Tarion has faced serious criticism from homeowners and others in the industry. And the issue in part is that Tarion is the party that holds all the funds that are to be used to uh, correct warrantable defects, but they're also the party that decides whether a claimant gets to access those funds. And so there's a bit of a, a conflict there. And for example, in 2019, Ontario's Auditor General conducted a special audit of Tarion and found that Tarion had been operating with little oversight and was essentially allowed to write its own rules for a period of time. And the Auditor General also identified a very close relationship between Tarion and the Ontario Home Builders Association that had created an imbalance over the years that favored the interests of builders over homeowners when Tarion was resolving claims. So it's important for boards and owners to be aware of this dynamic um, and, and be aware of the need that they, they may need legal advice when dealing with Tarion to ensure that they're getting an objective, 
third-party assessment about whether their claims are truly warranted or not. And I say this because it's worth the investment sometimes to avoid a situation where a builder or Terion may say an item is not warranted when there may actually be some warranty available for it. Yeah, and I, I can't agree with that point enough because um, I've been in some of those meetings and I'm sure you have too, Melinda, where it's it's so easy to try and feel like we should just accept Terion's views on items. Um, but that's right. And, and I, I feel for the owners too, right? Cause like, sometimes when you're buying these, these units, you're, you shell a lot of money. You, you want to believe that the product you purchased is of good quality. And so I, I can sometimes observe like a bit of a psychological effect where they, they the, the owners want to believe, um, the position of Tarion. they want to accept the position of the developer, but it's, it's so important. And I know you've seen it in your cases and I've seen it in my cases. That's it's so right. important to get your own consultant and get your own advice on these things because you, you exactly. never know. Um, a small issue this year, year one, may become a million dollar fix in year five or year six. So exactly. Yeah. The, the Terion process can be very informal where you're in face-to-face -face meetings with a Terion rep or a builder, and it may seem like everybody's sitting at the table trying to get to a solution. And in a lot of cases, I do think that there are builders out there who are willing to correct problems properly, Agreed. but that's not always the case. And, and so it's easy sometimes to buy into that informal process to think everyone's on your side when that may not necessarily be the mm -hmm. case. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we, uh, let's go over a bit about the Terion coverage itself, since we've been talking a lot about the warranties, we might as well delve a little bit into what the warranties are actually, what they actually can uh, entail. So can you give us some idea about what the actual warranties are? Yeah, that sounds good. So the basic principle, which I've sort of hit home a bit, but I'll repeat here, is that every new home in Ontario comes with a warranty coverage provided by the builder that is guaranteed by Terion. So in the condo context, this means that every, every newly built condo has a warranty for the, both the units and the common elements. For our purposes, and particularly in our firm, where we work primarily for condominium corporations and less so for unit owners, our purposes are we're mainly concerned with common element warranties, which boards are responsible for. And typically unit owners will deal with the unit warranties directly with Terion. And one point, one fine detail on the warranty is that when it comes to common element warranties for condominiums, they apply in standard condominium corporations and leasehold condominium corporations, but they don't apply in common element condos or vacant land condos. I won't get into the reasons why, just except that um, it, it doesn't make sense to apply it in those circumstances. So if you have a standard or leasehold condo, you will have common element warranties is the takeaway point there. Um, one other important point to note about the common element warranties is that there was a quite a development in 2018 uh, to confirm that residential condominium conversion projects now qualify for warranty coverage. So a conversion project, a, a conversion condominium is where a building, an existing building, say for example, a residential apartment building 
was uh, purchased by a developer and then converted to a condo rather than being brand new construction from the ground up. There, there is now warranty coverage for these conversion condos where previously there was no warranty coverage because they were not considered a new build. And so this new warranty coverage applies to conversion condominiums for projects where the first agreement of purchase and sale was signed on or after January 1st, 2019. Uh, that's healthy information. Um, in terms of like the warranties that Ethereum provides, what are the kind of the general timelines uh, condominium corporations and even you know, owners should be aware of? Yeah, so in the condo context, there are three main um, warranties for the board to be concerned about. And these are going to be the one, two, and seven-year warranties. There are other warranties that will apply for unit owners and owners of freestanding homes respecting delayed closings and deposit protections. But for condominium boards, they really want to uh, focus in on the one, two, and seven-year warranties. And so the warranty periods start from the date the condominium is declared. So the, this is the date when, where the declaration and description are registered on title. And boards can look on their declaration to see the specific date that it was stamped with to get that information. And so that date, the date stamp on your declaration, is when the one-year, two-year, or seven-year clock starts to run. I should mention at this point that Tarion's customer service standards for common element warranties are described in more detail in what's referred to as Builder Bulletin 49. And so any board that is currently going through the Tarion process will likely have heard, heard Builder Bulletin 49 being referred to and will probably hear it in some of our other podcasts as well in this series, but it's essentially just a document that's prepared by Tarion that sets out a detailed explanation of how the common element warranties work and how the claims process works. But essentially the basic is that Tarion recognizes the condominium corporation as represented by the board as the owner of the common elements. And so Tarion requires the board to take any required steps to make any claims to Tarion on behalf of the corporation. And the main point really um, for boards to be aware of with respect to the claims process is that by uh, abiding by the warranty deadlines is the best thing they can do to manage the process. The rest of it is sort of gravy in the background, um, but considering these deadlines and meeting them uh, on time is really the best thing that um, boards can do. And the warranties, so again, the one, two, and seven-year warranties go from broad to narrow as time passes. So the obviously the, the one-year warranty is the broadest one. So it's important to really pay attention to these early warranty periods because that's when the broadest coverage exists. And I mentioned this because it can be tricky for boards, particularly when um, the declarant may not have turned over control of the board to the independent unit owners until partway through the corporation's first year. And so we're dealing with 
a, a new board who may not have a lot of experience in terms of managing the condominiums affairs, having to come in partway through that first year, year of that warranty period, the first year warranty period, it's certainly a lot to manage. And so the best thing that boards can do, which is along the lines of what we were just talking about, is to ensure that they have experienced professionals, like a property manager, like a good engineer, and good legal counsel available to assist with the tarry-on process. Yeah, and we're going to have a future episode that delves a bit deeper into timelines, because there's a fair bit of discussion on what happens when um, the timelines aren't met uh, by either Terion or the Kono Corporation. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Um, but I want to kind of focus a little bit more on a specific aspect of, of the warranty claims process for condominium corporations, and that's the performance audit. So can you, uh, Melinda, can you tell us a bit more about what that is and what is it basically and how does it um, interact with the warranty process? Yeah, sounds good. And so, and just to sort of maybe respond to your last question a little bit better, um, really the warranties that we have to be keeping our eye on, and I'll get more into this as we talk about the performance audit, are the one-year mark, the two-year mark, and the seven-year mark. So those are the timeframes, the main timeframes for boards to keep an eye on. Um, but I, with respect to the performance audit, um, it's essentially the way that defects are identified in a condominium. It, it's going to be through the performance audits. So under the Condominium Act in Ontario, boards are required to complete a performance audit of the common elements between six and the six and 10 month mark of the condominium's life. So between six and 10 months from the condominium uh, being declared. And so the performance audit is going to be conducted by an engineer who has experience in looking for defects and uh, investigating condominiums. And the point is to determine essentially whether there are any deficiencies in the common elements that need to be corrected as part of the, the tarry on process. And I, I mentioned this because identifying defects that can be claimed through tarry on isn't just about waiting to hear if owners are making complaints or if people have identified uh, certain issues that they see on the common elements. Boards do have a, an obligation under the Condominium Act to retain a suitable engineer to, con to conduct a proper building inspection. Um, and it's important because many of the defects that condominiums have to deal with can be latent or hidden defects. And engineers, these engineers that do the performance audits have experience in um, investigating these types of defects and they know what to look for as common mistakes in condominium developments. If a defect is ultimately identified in the performance audit, then the condominium ends up submitting the performance audit along with the appropriate warranty forms to tarry on, and that's what begins the warranty process. Um, I should also talk at this point um, about, get into a little bit more of what the specific warranties cover, but I would go so far probably to say that being aware of what the specific warranties cover, again, at the one, two, or seven-year mark is less important for boards to know because they are going to be retaining an engineer to identify the defects anyways. And again, it's just more important for boards to be aware of those one, two, and seven-year deadlines and ensuring that they are complying with that timeline. 
So with respect to the one-year warranty, again, this is the where the broadest coverage exists. And really, the warranties are general and cover things like um, ensuring the condominium is constructed in a workmanlike manner and free from defects. Um, it protects against unauthorized substitutions that the developer might have made without proper approval. It requires the home to be fit for human habitation. So there can't be, for example, water leaks that may lead to mold or things like that. It requires the condominium to be built um, in accordance with the building code um, requirements. And um, basically it's, it's very broad categories of warranties. So any category, any defect that could be categorized into one of these categories needs to be reported in, in the first year. But because the categories are fairly broad, basically any defect, um, uh, can almost be considered into some of these categories. Um, it's designed to cover a wide range of problems, but the balance is that there is a requirement to, to report within the first year. And if you miss that first year mark, then you uh, lose the benefit of having access to such broad warranties. And then when we, when we get into the two-year warranty um, coverage, the, the coverage begins to narrow. And so at the two-year mark, the warranty protects against things like water infiltration through a basement or foundation walls. It protects against defects in materials that affect windows, doors, caulking, and defects in work that result in water penetration into the building envelope. It also covers defects in work or materials in the electrical, plumbing, and heating delivery and distribution systems. It also covers defects in work or materials that result in the detachment, displacement, or deterioration of exterior cladding, like brick or aluminum or vinyl siding. And it protects against violations of the Ontario Building Code that affect health and safety. So you can see there, it's, it, that's an example of how the warranty begins to narrow. In the one-year category, you're really covered for any building code violation, but it begins to narrow at the two-year mark to only building code violations that affect health and safety. So that first year performance audit is critical. <laughs> it's key. That's the takeaway of this, this podcast, yeah. And then um, when we get into the seven-year warranty, this is where it really begins to limit. And essentially, the seven-year warranty covers um, major structural defects. And now the key, though, is that it's major structural defects as defined in the legislation, so the New Home Warranties Act. What this means, if I, I'll try and paraphrase, but it's a bit complicated, a major structural defect means any defect in work or materials of a building that would include things like a crack, distortion, or displacement of a structural load-bearing element of the building but only if it results in failure of the structural load-bearing element or uh, material, or if that defect materially or adversely affects the ability of the load-bearing element to carry structural loads, or if it materially or adversely affects the use of a significant portion of the building. So there's a lot of qualifiers in this seven-year category, but it would typically include warranty coverage for um, 
major cracks in basement walls, collapse or serious distortion of joints or roof structures, or um, one that I learned today actually is chemical failure of materials. So I haven't seen that one before, but it would be covered under the seven-year warranty. And so the seven-year warranty will end on the seventh anniversary of the date from when the condo was declared. From that kind of summarization of the three uh, uh, types of warranties covering the one second and seven year mark. It sounds like it's covering a lot of items. So what are kind of some things that the warranty doesn't cover? Yeah, that's a really good question because it will come up in the discussions from Terry Ann. So often what we see is a condominium saying, well, um, I think our performance audit is indicating we've got um, X, Y, and Z defects that are warranted, but Terry Ann will often say, well, some things are included, some things can't be covered. And so then it's sort of left to the parties to decide, well, what is really warranted and what isn't. And so things that aren't covered that we often hear, normal wear and tear. I mean, that's, that's, an, that's an easy one, that's basic. Normal wear and tear on the building is not going to be covered. So things like scuffs and scratches on the floor, or walls caused by moving or just day-to-day -day use by the homeowner, that's not going to be co covered. Also, damage caused by improper maintenance is one that we see come up a lot. So, um, for example, uh, if there's dampness or condensation caused by a failure to maintain proper ventilation in a condominium unit, that wouldn't be warranted. But, for example, if there is a code violation that is causing dampness or condensation in a condominium unit that would be warranted. So it's really a bit of a tricky assessment. And this is again, why professionals are needed to assess, is this dampness and condensation coming up because of a defect, a code violation, or is it improper uh, maintenance or use of the unit uh, by the unit owner? Um, so damage caused by improper maintenance isn't going to be covered. Um, damage caused by a third party. So if there's damage that was caused by a utility service provider, for example, or vandalism, that's not going to be covered. Tarion also interestingly doesn't cover secondary damage caused by defects. So if there is um, a code violation that results in property damage, um, to the condominium common elements. Um, the code violation would be the defect that gets corrected, but the damage caused by that defect is not typically warranted by Terion. Um, the other thing that is not going to be covered by Terion is any supplementary warranties given by the builder. And so Warranties are agreements provided by a builder over and above what those statutory warranties are. So the things that I mentioned, like good workmanlike um, construction, compliance with the building code, anything beyond that is really between the builder and the homeowner. And so Terion would not be um, in a position to enforce those additional warranties. On the supplementary warranty item, I, I don't know, Melinda, if you've seen a, uh, an agreement of purchase and sale recently, but I, I seem to recall seeing, um, at least in the newer ones, that the developers are explicitly 
exempting any other warranties except for Tarion's um, statutory warranty in their agreement of agreements of purchase and sale. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And <laughs> I think that um, that's an, sort of a new area of emerging case law that we're starting to see being litigated um, these days, whether the builders can limit uh, their warranties right. to just the Terry on coverage. So that's a point probably for another podcast. Yeah. But I think there are still some, and maybe we, we would see this more in a custom built home versus uh, a condominium where some builders are offering above and beyond the statutory warranties. Right. Well, I think that was a very good overview of Tarion and its warranty, uh, statutory warranties and kind of general overview. Uh, I can say as a, even as a lawyer practicing uh, in this area, it's, it's fairly complicated, um, yes. which we'll try to get uh, more, get into them with more detail in future episodes. But are there any kind of main takeaways, Melinda, that you have for boards in Ontario? Yeah, let me let me hit on one more point that okay. um, I should probably cover, and then I'll give some takeaways. So, one thing I wanted to mention is the monetary limits um, of the warranty coverage, because this is recently changed in 2021, and so um, the the amount of money that you have access to under the Terion warranty program is going to depend on when when the building was created. But if, for example, uh, the first agreement of purchase and sale was signed prior to February 1st, 2021. The maximum coverage for a unit owner's claim is going to be $300,000 per unit. But the maximum coverage for condominium common element claims is going to be $50,000 times the number of the units in the condo up to a maximum of $2.5 million. And I mentioned this because for condominiums where the first agreement of purchase and sale was signed after February 1st, 2021, the coverage for the common elements warranties has gone up to um, $100,000 times the number of units in the condominium to a maximum of $3.5 million. And so this is an important increase because the cost to repair some of these large scale defects that are systemic through the building can be quite costly in the range of several million dollars or more depending on how big the building is. So that's an important development for condominiums sort of declared after February 1st, 2021. That's news to me too. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. So otherwise, in terms of takeaways, um, what I hope boards get from this is that really they are they are the ones who are responsible for complying with the tarry on deadlines on behalf of the corporation. And it's really important to meet that first year warranty deadline, which is going to give the corporation the broadest coverage possible. And so the best approach to ensure you're meeting your deadlines is to hire an experienced engineer to get that performance audit done on time. It's also worth considering consulting with legal counsel um, at the outset of the Terion process, depending on the nature and value of the defects. But, and this is along the lines of what you and I were talking about, David. Terion and the builders 
are very sophisticated parties and they know the claims process well. And like I said earlier, some builders will certainly do the right thing and repair warranted defects without issues, but others may try to take advantage of the system or the fact that boards may be inexperienced with the process. So having legal counsel available to guide through the process can ensure that boards are properly protecting the corporation's legal rights. And I say that not out of our own self-serving interest because um, I would really just prefer to see that boards get these issues with warranted defects properly resolved. Because if they don't, it winds up being the innocent homeowners who've uh, purchased into the building who often have to wind up paying for the repairs. So in, in my view, it's worth the investment to get some legal advice at the outset of the Terrion process because it may end up saving owners from having to pay for those repair costs in the end. Oh, how you know how like this um, the Tyrion process is kind of um, a phrase that we is very applicable here. Is an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I think that is very applicable here. So exactly, I agree. Okay, well, thanks, Melinda, for um, really uh, taking the hard task of trying to talk about Tyrion in a in an overview fashion, so that the future episodes uh, we can talk about specific issues in greater detail. Um, but I'm. I'm very happy to have received all this information. I'm sure our listeners will be as well. So um, I hope to have you on uh, the podcast again in the future. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks so much for having me, David. Okay. Thanks, Melinda. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Conopedia is brought to you by Davidson Hu Allen, a boutique condominium law firm servicing Eastern Ontario. You can find more about our firm on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or on our website at davidsonconolaw.ca. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not intended to provide legal opinion or advice, which cannot be given without knowing the facts of a specific situation. Use of this podcast does not establish a solicitor and client relationship. The intro and outro music is provided by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com.